0: Introducing um, a good friend of mine who has uh, been serving alongside me in our church. Uh, this guy is named Roger Bunsey. He is um, a servant in our Life for Kids. Uh, serves every single week. Um, and in addition to that, has led uh, Grief Share Small Groups before. He's actually going to be launching a new home group next month. And so if you're not connected and would like to get connected to a new home group, you can come talk to him in the lobby or talk to me. Um, and the real, real story about Roger is if you were at the Life Kids Christmas program last week, this guy was the real MVP besides the kids up on the stage dancing with them and doing an amazing job. Will you please give a huge warm welcome to Roger Bunsey this morning? <laughs> That was my one thing I was supposed to remember besides my message today. So today we're going to continue on with the stories of Christmas, and we have a very special character that we're going to talk about today. And as I was preparing for the message, researching all of the scriptures and putting together the construct of the message, it really struck me the importance of this message this morning. And as I was sharing with, with Justin what I'd found, I began to tell him how it really related to my life and the impact of this message today. And I wanted to take some time to share that with all of you today. It'll be part of the message. And it kind of starts like this. As a young man, I was born in Southern California, born in Illinois, but raised in Southern California. And I had very Christian parents. They took all of us kids, uh, myself, my brother and my sister. They took us to church almost every Sunday. And as we were growing up, we went to the youth group. So I grew up knowing about Jesus. I knew all the old stories of the Old Testament, Moses and Noah and, and all of them. From the outside, it probably looked like we were the pretty average, good Christian family. But on the inside, there were secrets in my family. And it was very dysfunctional from both sides of the family, my father's side of the family, my mother's side of the family. And they brought that dysfunction to us kids. And the pain only grew for all of us but by the time I was a young man, I was very insecure. Um, I was angry. I was passive aggressive. Uh, I had already been doing drugs since I was 15 years old. My life was full of pain, and it was just going to continue. It wouldn't be long before I was in my first addiction. As a young father, I left my son and his mother when he was only three years old. I tried to be there for him as much as I could throughout his youth, but quite honestly, there were so many times that I missed the opportunity to be there. And unfortunately, too many of those times, because I needed to party with my friends. As he continued to grow up, you know, as a father, I, I kept thinking, I've got to depart some kind of wisdom to my son but the truth of it was I never could because I never had any and sadly I watched my son as he grew up and he was just like me that was the only thing that I gave him was the pain that I had in my life I transferred that to my son You see, I lived a life in total disobedience to God. And it's not uncommon for all of us to experience disobedience now and then. We're not immune from it. We're human. But the truth is, is when we choose obedience, God can bring such fruitfulness to our lives. He can change our lives. He can change the world around us. He can even change our legacy. So this morning, we're going to talk about a character, and his name is Joseph, husband of Mary, father of Jesus. And Moses is kind of an interesting character, because from one standpoint, he's just a narrative character. There's nothing in Scripture that's attributed to him. No words that he spoke are written in Scripture in the Bible. So what can we know? There's only you know, a few pieces of scripture, a few verses that really talk about Joseph. Fewer that talk about who he was as a man. But in those, we can learn an awful lot. And the first thing that we learn is that Joseph was God's plan. In the first, uh, in the first book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, the first 16 verses are dedicated to taking us through the ancestry of Jesus and it takes us all the way back to Abraham we also know that Mary's lineage her heritage goes all the way back to Abraham and of course this includes Joseph as the father of Jesus now our culture today we would we would look at um Joseph and we'd say he's the stepfather But that wasn't the case in the culture of of the Jews. When Joseph married his betrothed, Jesus became his son, and it's identified in that ancestry that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Now we know that that wasn't totally the case. So both of them go all the way back to Abraham. They can actually be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve. And that's done once in the Bible. So what's really interesting, though, is we get through that ancestry, and we get to the 17th verse of chapter 1. And we read this, Matthew 1, um, chapter 1, 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. The generations from David to the deportation to Babylon 14. The generations from the deportation to Babylon, uh, from Babylon to, uh, I'm sorry, to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And that's really kind of profound. Um, And, you know, Matthew puts this in there very intentionally because it has great meaning to us. And you have to have a little bit of a knowledge of biblical numerics. In the Bible, numbers are very important, and they have very specific meanings. One of the numbers that we probably all know is the number seven. And number seven stands for completion. Usually spiritual completion, but it it could be any kind of completion. Um, And we see that actually further in Matthew in chapter 18. I think it starts in verse 21. Peter's talking to Jesus and now Peter, he knows that in Jewish law, if somebody comes in and asks for forgiveness, Jewish law says you got to forgive them three times. But Jesus, um, uh, Peter's talking to Jesus, and he thinks, you know, I'll, I'll be a little better. And he asks Jesus, well, if a man comes to me for forgiveness, how many times do I need to forgive him? Seven? And of course... Peter, he, he's thinking, well, seven, you know, that's completion. So all I have to do is seven times, and it's done, right? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Jesus is telling them, it's not complete till the, till the last time you forgive them. you got to keep forgiving them until it's done. So we know seven is completion in a major way. Now you think of the number 14, two times seven, right? So two times seven, man, this must be major, major completion. And it's right. The number 14 actually stands for deliverance and salvation. And we can look back at that verse 17 and realize that God had a plan even before he called on Abraham to take his family and leave to go to a land that he would show him, that God had a plan in progress and this plan was to be complete in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Joseph and Mary had always been a part of that plan we also know that Jesus is a common man uh, The first thing we can understand is, you know, back in the days of King David, his son Solomon, and even um, when his grandson uh, Rehoboam was, was king, the cities of Jerusalem, Nazareth, Bethlehem, these were great bustling cities. They were well known for their vineyards of grapes and olives and also for their abundance of sheep. Which were really important because sheep were the main animal that they used in in the uh, temple um, for sacrifices. So these were great cities, but now, over the course of you know several hundred years, um, the Israelites had suffered from being um, conquered and and having to submit to multiple. Uh, countries, and and of course, when we get down to the time of uh, Joseph, um, it's the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire has control over all of Israel or Judea at that point in, in time, and so they were repressed first by the Romans, but even under the Romans, you had the Jewish priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and their main ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And they ruled over the people with a religious zeal. And if you weren't one of them, you were just common people. But we can also learn this from Matthew 13, verses 53 to 55, and it reads, When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. And he came to this his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. And the result of that were that they were astonished and said, Where did this man acquire this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is this not the carpenter's son? His mother not Mary, uh, called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So we find out that uh, Joseph was just a common carpenter. And that day, uh, being a carpenter um, probably meant a little bit more than it does today. When I think of a carpenter, I don't know about you guys, but I think about a person that builds homes. Right, But it meant, historically, back in that time, it it meant a little bit more. And we read that, um, and and this is based on the Hebrew uh, word for carpenter, which is koresh, and um, the Greek, which is tekton. And it refers to a woodworker or builder, but it can also mean other things. He could have been a stone, uh, had the skills of a stonemason. He was probably more of a craftsman that he could build things with wood and metal, things that the villagers would need. Uh, And it was probably a a pretty good uh, job to have back then, because he could do an awful lot of things. Um, So he's he's just a common man. And I, I, I got to thinking about it, and I think sometimes when when we're reading the Bible, it's really hard to relate to the characters of the Bible. But this is someone that we can relate to. He's in a common man, he's a common man and doing a common job, living a very common life. But what's really uncommon about Joseph is his walk with God. The next thing we can we can understand about Joseph is that Joseph is a righteous man. And we read in, if I didn't turn the page so quickly, we read in uh, Matthew 1 18 to 19. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she, uh, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, Since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Well, we know that a righteous man, righteousness is attributed to a man based on his faith in God. So we know he was a very faithful man, and it also means that he was a just man. So here he is, he's faced with his betrothed. She comes back after four, four months, and she's with child. And not only that, she's telling him this story that an angel came to her, and the child that's within her is of the Holy Spirit. And that child is going to be the Messiah. We can only imagine what must have been going through Joseph's mind at that time, the feelings and emotions he must have had trying to understand this. And one of the really hard parts is that Israel had not heard from God and over 400 years not since the last prophet malachi God had been completely silent so it says that joseph decided he was going to just send her away quietly now that that wasn't going to be a you know an easy decision last week when we talked about mary we learned a lot about the marriage contract Well, to establish that marriage contract, two things had to happen. Number one, Joseph was going to have to pay a price to Mary's family. The price was established by Mary's family. And it wasn't to buy Mary. What it was is to pay the family for some of the loss of income that they were going to incur by Mary leaving the family. In addition, they would give... Mary a dowry that would help her carry her into her new life with with Joseph. Now Joseph had a choice. There were only two ways he could divorce Mary. One was a public marriage. He would take Mary to the city gates and he would gather some elders and he'd gather some witnesses. And there he would declare to the public the unfaithfulness of Mary He would be released from all guilt, and shame would go with Mary and to her family. And in that case of a public divorce, the family would have to pay that price back to Joseph. And he would also get to keep the dowry. Now that had to be a lot to give up. If he chose to divorce her quietly and send her away, He would lose everything. He'd lose the price. He'd lose the dowry. So that was not an easy choice. But that was his choice. And he did it out of love and out of compassion for Mary. He was truly a righteous man. The next thing we can understand about Joseph is that he's an obedient man. Um... And we read this in in Matthew 1, verse uh, 20. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Then again in verse 24, we, we read, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Seems like the simple answer. But there was one more thing. By agreeing to marry her to the community, it was the same as saying to them, I'm guilty. I'm the one that impregnated her. And shame would come upon them. Albeit, I doubt that they felt shame because they knew that what they were doing was of the Lord. But they would also be shunned by the community, and probably by some of their own family. So this was not an easy decision for them to make, but both of them were obedient to God. And because they were obedient to God, God's plan to bring Jesus, the Messiah, into the world came to fruition. I wanna go back to my, my story and it picks up about 17 years ago, maybe a little bit more, around, around 2004. I, was, uh, I had just had a moment with God, and I decided I was going to put Jesus back in my life. And I was working and living over in Amsterdam for about a year. On the way to work one morning, I started telling one of the, the men that worked with me, about my faith in God. And I hadn't started going to church yet because of my work. I was gone all the time. But I had bought a Bible and I'd started reading it. And I was telling them the difference I can tell on a day that I read the Word from a day that I didn't. The day I read it, I had peace in my heart. The next morning, he brought me a present. It was his copy of a book called The Purpose Driven Life by a pastor named Rick Warren at a church called Saddleback in Southern California. And as I got home in 2005 at, at Easter time, I went to Saddleback Church for the first time on Easter Sunday 2005. Every message that I heard at that church spoke so deeply to me. I felt like it was all meant for me and they had something else there. They had this thing called Celebrate Recovery. And still dealing with addiction in my life, I decided I was gonna go. In Celebrate Recovery, it was a program, it's all aligned with, with scripture. There's only one higher power, it's Jesus Christ. And as I started working that program, I came to a realization fairly quickly. It wasn't about recovering from addiction or recovering from from my problems. Yes, it was good for that. But what it was truly about, it was recovering the life and the plan that Jesus had for my life. I began to get very close to the men there. We talked openly and honestly about everything in our life. When we went to meetings, we'd hear the lessons taught. It was much like a church service like this. Then we heard the teachings about about God and what His his, uh, commands were for us. We'd go back and we'd study the Scriptures and we'd talk about our lives and, and how our lives were playing out with that. And then we did one more thing. We started practicing it. We were learning to obey obedience came to my life and on the day that i surrendered my will to god my addiction was gone my life was changing and my relationships with the people around me were changing my relationship with my son was was changing and just a few short years ago when i was visiting my son He was taking me back to the bus stop, and I'd catch a bus and go back to Boston, catch a plane to go home. And while we sat there in the car waiting for the bus to arrive, I started making some amends to my son. He says, oh, Pop, it's okay. And I I said to him, no, it's not okay, son. There's things that I have to tell you that I'm so sorry for in my life. And I started with the fact that I was so sorry That I left him with a mother that was so brokenhearted. And I ended it with that I was so sorry that I'd never told him about a God that created him and loved him so much. I got a text from my daughter-in-law the next day, and she told me, I don't know what you said to him. But it touched them so deeply, and I'm so thankful. Last year, I took my travel trailer, and I went out and I parked it on his property, and I stayed with them for two months. And they would have had me just stay forever. We had such a great time together, and we had my son and I had planned to remodel his, his kitchen. It turned out to be a rebuild. <laughs> But well, we had such a great time doing it. And I and, and in the very beginning, he was so anxious. He was so worried about making mistakes. And, you know, I looked him in the eyes and I said, son, no matter what happens, we're gonna go through this together. And I could see the peace come back to his words. Every morning while I was there, he'd get up early, he'd come out to my trailer. We'd have coffee, have breakfast, and we'd talk together. But our discussions started to change. They started to get deeper. And he started to talk to me about the issues in his life, the anger that he was carrying. God, I prayed for that for so long, wanting to have a deeper relationship with my son than I, than I had with my dad. Something else happened while I was there that I just I hadn't been prepared for. My daughter-in-law. Now I had always been open with my son and my daughter-in-law about my faith in Jesus and encouraged them to to seek to know Him. My daughter-in-law, New Age. Mother Earth is my God, right? So I'm there for two months, and what happens? She wants to take me to church. She'd started going to church. I couldn't hardly believe it. She said that she only went for the friendships. Hallelujah. She found her seat in church. I will tell you that God's been changing my life. He's been changing the world around me, and it's only because He humbled me and made me obedient. You can have this too. There's nothing God won't do for His obedient and faithful people. He'll change your life. He'll change your world and your legacy, just like He's changing mine. so let's kind of just take a look back let's wrap this up and review there's four things that we learned in this today god has a plan for all of us i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future god uses the common man in our world today People don't want to be common. They're seeking status. They're seeking money. They're seeking whatever they can to make themselves feel good and feel like maybe they're better than the common man. But that's not the way that God sees us. God sees us all in common as his creation. God uses the righteous man. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that little bit of faith is attributed to you as righteous. In fact, we're told that we are the very righteousness of Christ. God uses the obedient man. So the question today is, will you be obedient, faithfully obedient to God? He can use us all. And if we were obedient together as the church as the body of Christ he will use us he will use us to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time so let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts for, for communion and if you didn't bring the elements in and you want to do communion with us today we have a couple people that have the elements just raise your hand and they will bring them to you alright I I'd just like to to pray before we go into this time of communion heavenly father We are so thankful for this time of year. We're so thankful for the knowledge of of Jesus Christ who came to bring us deliverance from sin for salvation. Lord, help us to make the most out of our salvation. Help us to be faithfully obedient for you, that you would use each and every one of us in this life to help you reach your final plan, Lord that none would be lost, that all would be saved through your people. Help us to be those obedient people, Lord. And I just give you thanks in your name, Jesus. Amen. I ask you to think about that as we go into this time of communion.